Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Word Gamers Anonymous, episode 138, Top 10 Word Games. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Man, what a trooper coming on the episode. I know you're not feeling well. Yeah, so you guys can all listen to the the crackling voice of a fellow with a cold who's been on the phone all day. So <laughs> No, it, it might have that very Barry White sound to your voice, finally. It might be something you want to go with. Yeah, unless it goes out like halfway through recording. <laughs> That's, at some point, I'm going to lose it completely. People are like, oh no, he's down. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go on without him, man. <laughs> Chris, all sign language. Turn on Skype. <laughs> Anthony really doesn't like that game. All right, everybody. Good night. You just hear banging in the background. That's wrong. <laughs> Does like that game. Oh, man. Those week in sign language school will eventually pay off for us. But we are here for a new episode. This week, we're talking about the top 10 word games. We often don't talk about word games because typically our heads are deep down in strategy games. But we want to talk about all the fun that could be had in a number of different word games. And in word games that you probably don't consider when you're thinking about word games. Anthony, I know you're a big fan of word games. Especially those Scrabble-type, giant dictionary type of games? Yeah, I love Scrabble. Probably because I'm good at it, but it's also fun. I think the first time we met, actually, is I was looking up board game meetups in the area. Didn't even realize strategy games existed. Was really kind of thinking of Scrabble. Mm -hmm. And walked into Ticket to Ride, I think, is what I saw. I'm like, oh, this is different. But um, but yeah, word games is is kind of my my origin, I guess. My origin story in board games. (laughs) Typically... I'm not a fan of those kind of like have to know the dictionary in order to do well. I think I have a pretty good vocabulary, but still sometimes those games are a little bit limiting. 
But these top 10 word games really do incorporate so much of not just the vocabulary, but a lot of different interesting gameplay and different ways to use words in order to have a good social gaming experience. So we're going to talk about all of that fun. So Anthony, any new things as far as gaming is concerned these days? You know what? No, not really. Um, (laughs) My wife was out of town last week, so I was home with the kids. Um, I managed to set up several games and not play them. Uh, this week I was sick, so I did not go to game night. Okay. Um, I'm sure the listeners are loving my description of how I did not play any games recently. <laughs> um, no, I've been playing a lot of apps. So sure. the, the episode of every night is game night this coming week is actually about all the new game apps that came out over the summer. I've been playing a lot of those. So through the ages, Burgle brothers, bottom of the ninth, Jaipur. It's an awesome one. Sure. That's, that's what I've been playing, but okay. mostly by myself. So. Yeah, and we do have a whole bunch of your video reviews for children's games. So if people are looking for games to play with their kids, they can find three new videos up there as well. That's on the YouTube channel, but you can also find them on the website, uh, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. If you scroll down like halfway through the, the homepage, all the most recent videos are listed there. Also, just recently, I think yesterday, I put up a review of Paramedics Clear and the was it the puzzle game from Cosmos that we recently had a chance to take a look at, Ubongo. Plus mm-hmm. a few kids' games. So tons of new reviews over there. Check them out. Lots of stuff from Gen Con. A few new written reviews going up here in the next week, too. So probably around the time you're hearing this, there'll be some new stuff. So lots of cool stuff. So while that's all kind of settling down, we really would appreciate if you would take the time to like us on Facebook, on follow us on Twitter, go to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Visit BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Obviously, we have our Patreon account that you can donate to us so that we can bring you new episodes. And finally, a little twist that's been happening in the iTunes universe. Recently, they had a new update. And with that update, brought in new play. If you are using any type of iPhone and you've updated, you may notice that the podcast player looks a little bit different. And one of the great things about that is now when you take a look at our episodes, you'll actually see a very quick and convenient way to drop five stars on us. Not to mention throw in some comments. This helps us a lot. If you haven't already, please drop down. It won't. You don't have to stop listening to the episode at all. And it's quick and easy to do. And if you haven't done it before, do it now. It helps us out a lot. Yeah, it's one of those about time things. <laughs> like the app was so bad before. And it has some new issues now, but at least that thing is fixed. So definitely check it out. Yeah, I know. I've kind of been derelict in my duties too. I listened to a number of different podcasts. And I didn't realize that I wasn't rating everybody. And now, just as I'm listening to the podcast and I'm, I'm looking through to see what episodes are available, it's quick and available to put to drop those stars and write a quick little review. So you don't have to go through that whole app system. So please drop those stars and help us out there. All right. So what's going on with everybody out there, Anthony? What's our question of the week? All righty. So I asked people on the learning new games front, since that's what you and I have been doing for the last two months, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. <laughs> so... How many times and how often do you have to play a game before you feel comfortable remembering the rules? And I ask this because I feel dumb when (laughs) I go to take one of my favorite games off the shelf to take to game night and realize maybe I don't remember this well enough to teach it, even though I've played it, you know, half a dozen times in the last four years. Um, So I asked everybody else and I got a wide range of answers. (laughs) We got Daniel mentioned for normal games five to six times. uh, And then jokingly, he mentioned for Mage Knight infinity so which i agree mage knight is impossible to remember um 
Eric says, depends on how long since he last played, about three plays, and he knows the rules pretty well with an extended break. David says if he plays it six times in a month, he'll know it pretty well, which is a lot. I don't I don't know how many times I play a game six times in a month. Elena says five times in a three-month period, which is very specific, but I, it sounds about right to me. We got an answer here. It says it depends on what game. For text-heavy games like Twilight Imperium, over 10 times, sure. which I could see. I could yeah. see myself having to relearn that multiple times. And then a couple of cool tips. Mark says he adds sticky notes to the inside of the game box or rule book that says you will forget this rule. <laughs> I love that. And then he rereads it each time before he plays to make sure he remembers those rules, which I think is genius that because is. there are always like those two or three rules you're going to forget. Yeah, I don't know how many times I have to play a game. I feel like most games I own that I've played at least three or four times in the last year, I could work my way through and probably remember. The number of heavy games that I could just sit down and teach blindly is pretty small, though, like terraforming mars any day of the week any of the rosenberg games um any of the feld games like these are games i play often enough that i could just knock them out but even some of those i probably have to reference the rule book a couple times while playing yeah i don't know I, I don't know if i've actually i think i play too many different types of games to actually know the answer to this so it's interesting to see everybody else's answers yeah i feel like there's got to be some mathematical formula out there that one of our listeners could drop on us because it seems like there's a half-life to our memory as far as what do we remember and how much time has actually passed. Obviously, the heavier games, you want to have a you know a shorter time span. Whereas, you know, for example, Love Letter, it doesn't really take any type of memory to really remember how to play that so much. And you can throw that down pretty easy. Whereas, like Lisboa, you can miss one simple rule that throws the game completely out of whack. So, oh God, yeah. <laughs> so what a friend of mine's been doing a lot is typically he'll decide what game he's going to play and he just brings that game each and every time and that's all he's bringing. So he tries to get as many plays as possible, then puts it away because what I try to do is try to bring different games every time and then you have to learn a bunch of different games every time. So stick with a game as long as you can in the lane until you're, Game group is just about to kick you out and then switch over, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's why certain games like Terraforming Mars, I just know now. Sure. Uh, because that's what I did. Uh, yeah. The Godfather was one over the summer. The Godfather, I brought that for like a month in a row. We played it probably half a dozen times. Scythe the year before. I could pull Scythe down now and I probably haven't played it in eight months. But I know the rules because I played it a lot last year. I think for me specifically, I need at least one full gameplay when I'm not teaching. Because if I'm teaching, I'm keeping an eye on someone else's play to kind of help them along and make sure that everything's cool. So if I can get that gameplay where I don't have to teach at all, everyone knows what they need to do, and I can focus in on the game, then that really kind of just cements it for me. All right, so that's our question of the week. Now on to our acquisition disorder. So Anthony, what do you want to get to the table? Hopefully that you'll remember. Oh, that's so much pressure. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You know how many games actually get played multiple, multiple, multiple times? Like, it's true. It's a depressingly low number. <laughs> um, uh, no, this was actually had a different game in here. And then I saw this one uh, on the Hotness uh, probably a couple weeks ago. But it is called Dragon Castle. It's nice. from Horrible Games. And so Horrible Games are the guys behind Potion Explosion before Simon picked it up. And I think Steam Park. So oh, that wow. was also them. So yeah. they, they make these kind of very tactile, interactive, physical games. They're not just a board game. There's lots of cool stuff happening. And so first off, it's beautiful. Beautiful artwork. Uh, it's got all these tiles with all these wonderful pictures on them. But it's based on Mahjong. And so Mahjong, one of the most popular games in the world. This 
classic traditional Chinese game, but it's got a few tweaks to it. So it's during your turn, you're going to take a pair of identical tiles from the castle, the central bit, and place them in your own area on your board as you build your castle. Um, you'll then sacrifice these at times to take in shrines, and these really are just all apply to different tiles. And so you're trying to consolidate them and then score points with them. And so it's, it's very similar to Mahjong. Uh, it's very much about pattern building and pattern recognition, tile placement, very abstract, but with this beautiful modern artwork and a couple of modern twists. The game kind of flows until that the castle in the center gets down to the bottom, the end game is triggered, and then you see who has the most points. So if you look at it, it looks like Mahjong. If you listen to the description, it sounds kind of like Mahjong. But I think the shortened time frame, the slightly more accessible rule set, and the, the production quality here mean it's going to be, you know, I don't know if it's the kind of game I'll love. I have not actually played Mahjong with a physical copy of the game. I played it on the computer before. But it always seemed like a kind of game I would like with that abstract pattern, you know, recognition and tile matching kind of thing. So this looks really cool to me. And we'll see when it comes to the U.S. Horrible Games doesn't distribute here. So other people usually pick them up and uh, distribute them. I think Yellow has done a couple of them and Simon did the most recent. So we'll see when it comes. I think it's going to be out at Essen. So we'll some people will have it and tell us what they think, hopefully in the next couple of months. Yeah, it looks like a beautiful production. And uh, as you said, the previous games were so well received and really enjoyable. So hopefully this will get to the U.S. pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So mixing in the powers and the the spirit cards here it just adds something else to it so i'm definitely excited to see what that does to kind of that traditional game structure yeah anytime you take a globally recognized game mechanic and add just one thing to it that's typically a formula for success yeah yeah all right now i want to talk about two small acquisition disorders and these are just kind of mini expansion packs so the first one is seven wonders leaders anniversary pack now, basically what we're looking at here is just a little pack of cards that you can add to your Seven Wonders game. As you all know by now, I'm a big Seven Wonders fan. I love it at multiple player counts with all the expansions, and Leaders happens to be my favorite expansion. It really adds such a thematic take on the game that typically was kind of there, but with the Leaders, you really feel like it's solidly ingrained. Who are you going to recruit to help build your civilization? Civilization is not just about buildings. It's about the people that helped guide that civilization through the centuries. So what you're looking at here is just a lot more cards. What I like to see here, and all the information is not revealed yet, but what we're looking at is seems to be about a deck of 15 cards. And what I like is it looks like more women leaders and the original leaders expansion only had a very few number of uh, female leaders in this. So this little expansion kind of brings it up as far as equaling things out because women had a profound effect on civilization and this really adds to it. But what you're going to look at as far as the cards are concerned here is mainly these leader cards are about scoring victory points. So for example, if you have more civic buildings than your neighbors, you score five extra victory points. Same thing for science, same thing for military. If you have more coins, you're scoring those points. If you have zero defeat tokens, you're scoring victory points. You're scoring victory points for leaders recruited. So I like this because I like an end goal. And leaders typically give you some of that, but often give you something to kind of build up your machine. These seem to give you a lot more of go this way because you're going to score a bunch of points. And I really like that. 
Now, the other mini expansion, which is not too surprising here, is the Seven Wonders Cities Anniversary Pack. Now, what we're looking at here, just like the regular Cities expansion, is it brings a lot more interaction in the game. Same thing with this little mini expansion. It's going to take coins from other people. It's going to put debt tokens on other people. It's just basically going to mess with your neighbors. Messing with people a little bit, like you get three coins, each opponent loses one coin, gain four victory points, each opponent gets one coin, something along the lines of just altering their game state. That's a lot of fun. So two small mini expansions coming out in Essen. Hopefully things will come out soon. Something to add to your Seven Wonders collection. And maybe kind of bring it back to the table because Seven Wonders typically doesn't get as much love as it should as far as being a nice, complex, quasi-gateway game. Yeah, yeah. There's so much content for it, though. Like, at this point, you know, you don't even know where to go in. It's true. And he's, he wants to do, like, what, three more expansions? Yeah, and I mean, if he would just bring out the app, I think we'd all be satisfied. <laughs> but <laughs> Right? Yeah. Finish it. Man, he's, he's like George R.R. Martin here. Come on, man. <laughs> Before you, All right, so that's our acquisition disorders this week. Now on to our at the table. So, Anthony, I know it's been a rough week, but what have you gotten to the table this week? All right, so last week I got to the table Oath of the Brotherhood. This is a new game from AEG. It is designed by Vangelis Bajatarkis and Tony Semino. We saw it at Gen Con. I think it's been out for a little while, but it's just hitting distribution now. And it is a pirate-themed worker placement game. So while I'm not a huge fan of pirates as a theme, I'm not also anti-pirate. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> You're so, an anti-pirate. <laughs> anti-pirate, yeah. Bring down the pirate lobby on our podcast. <laughs> But I love worker placement, so I was like, oh, this this seems cool. The, the basic idea of the game is you have your own pirate board. Each of them has a different starting resources as well as a slightly different power. And what you're doing is you're taking actions on this board with your mates and your pirate meeple. And the different actions give you goods and hooks and people, crew people. And these get placed on your player mat. And your player mat has four different locations for each of these different types of things. So goods are a barrel, and the barrel can represent any of four different things. It can be rum, it can be water, it could be food. But each of these things on your board, there's four of them, has a special power. So once you get the good, you place it down, and it might give you a passive ability for, you know, it will, basically as long as it's sitting there, that, you know, reduces the cost of something or blocks other people from doing something to you. Other ones only activate when you remove them, and then you get a special power from that. So there's 12 of these different things on your player mat, and they're not super intuitive when you look at them like what they actually are, but basically by the time you get through the first game playing it, you'll remember what everything is. You have a toughness rating. Basically, the toughness rating works is if you want to go to a location where somebody else already is, there has to be an open space there because every location has two spaces. Um, you have to pay a toughness to do that. And if you don't have any toughness, you can't go. Uh, there's a couple of powers you can pick up with those goods I mentioned that get rid of that to you know, have a little bit more options. But for the most part, you need to build up your toughness so you can go to different places. Otherwise, you get locked out and you can't do very much. Now, the actual goal of the game is to collect all these tokens, the hooks and the goods and the crew people and the money and turn them in to complete missions. Missions come as these cards with a little bit of flavor text, and they all require a certain number of those things. Um, you go to the Brotherhood space to turn in the mission and draw a new mission. 
There's a few other things on the board. You can pick up followers at the tavern. You can do black market cards, um, which cost money, but give you a bunch of goods that you can use. You can go to the beach and pick up action cards. These break the game in various number of ways. So on the surface, the game seems pretty cool. It has a lot of different options to it, has a lot of different spaces to go. But as you're playing it, there are a few things that stick out that are problems. To start, the player abilities. One of the player abilities is just you get an extra victory point for each mission you complete. Um, compared to the other ones, it's kind of cruddy. You're only going to get through maybe one at the most two missions per round. So over the course of seven rounds, that that ability might be worth seven to ten points, which seems like a lot, but... That's only if you're maximizing those missions. The other abilities all let you complete missions for cheaper. So you use less resources, which means you take fewer actions, which overall seems to be better. The follower cards, they only cost one gold, but there's only one per round that goes out there. So only one person can pick up a follower card each round. Some of them are awesome. Some of them are not. So it's, it's kind of the luck of the draw there. And so if you get a really good one, great. You have that ability now for the rest of the game. There's multiple rounds left. Awesome. If a bad one comes up, then either nobody purchases that one, and so you're losing a possible round of having a follower, or you do purchase it, and it's not very good. And that's that's not very great. I don't know. It's interesting in the way it approaches these various things, but I think the lack of control over some of these random elements, and then the fact that you're trying to gather all these resources and then just spend them back like you get these special abilities, but frequently you're spending the resources off of your player mat at a time when it doesn't make sense. Like you might have multiple tokens down and when you remove them, you gain, you know, various abilities. You can place your pirate somewhere and you can take these extra resources, but it might be at a time when that actually doesn't do you any good. And then, but you don't really have a choice because you need to get those points. There are definitely limited spaces because it's worker placement. It does have a cool explore mechanism where you're drawing cards off of a deck and adding new um, placements on the map. Uh, places you can go, new new things to do, and they match the artwork to the board. So, it, I don't know. It's a funny in-between game for me. It's The artwork is nice. It's a little... Everything is kind of washed with parchment, so it's a little funky looking. But the integration of the artwork with the cards and the kind of... the overall thematic um, look of it and the different characters on each of your mats is nice. But the the way they do the player powers, the way it scales up to five players, the the followers and kind of the the random luck of the draw there. I'm going to give this one a dodge just because it, it misses on a few of those points that I think are most important in a worker placement game. You always need to be able to have interesting things to do. And there, you can't feel like the luck of the draw gives someone an advantage based on turn order. It's a really hard line to walk where it has to be open and even for everybody, but at the same time have new and unique things to do every round. And not every game pulls it off, and I don't think this one quite pulls it off. Now, if you really like pirates and you really like kind of the variable nature of those different icons, I could see plenty of people liking this. And a couple people at the table, you know, plays I had thought it was fun, if not amazing. But for me, it's a dodge. Uh, it's too bad. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it looked like it could be pretty good. But it's just a couple of those elements there. And I don't know if it's a playtesting thing or just they're trying to jam in a couple of cool thematic things that just don't quite work. All right. So I want to talk about a game that's been out for a little while, but I'm actually talking about the game because I want to talk about the recent expansion. So I'm going to talk about Dice City. Now, you may remember that we just talked about Dice City 
as far as our, if you like Castles of Burgundy, try these other games. Well, Castles of Burgundy and Dice City have a couple of things in common, but we already talked about that last episode. So, so let me talk about, now, basically in Dice City, you're given a card that represents your city, and you are trying to get the queen to build their capital at your brand new city because the old city has been ransacked. Now, the kingdom is known as the Kingdom of Roldovia. So it gives you an idea of what you're looking at as far as the artistic look here. We're looking at a very kind of cutesy Imperial Siddlers type of look. Very colorful, very bright, very unusual in some cases as far as the Euro game is concerned. So with your own little kingdom, you have this little board that's set up almost like a bingo card as far as it has the six die faces on top and it has five die colors on the left side. And what you're going to do with this is there's going to be rolling dice in order to utilize different spots on your board. So the, the game comes with a bunch of different location cards that are going to be able to give you resources throughout the game. And special locations are going to give you special abilities, give you victory points, and allow you to do a number of different things in order to gain victory points, which obviously is the way in which you win this game. So what you're doing typically beyond building special buildings that are going to give you victory points just for building them, but you're also trying to knock out bandits or trying to ransack your city. And you're going to do that with your swords. You're going to build, build up armies that are going to be able to do that. There's also trade ships. They're going to be very expensive, but if you get them, it's going to score you a lot of victory points in this game. As I said, this is a typical victory point game. So at the start of the game, you're rolling dice. You're going to be triggering space abilities. You're going to be reactivating locations that have been knocked out. You're going to be moving dice to different locations. You're going to be able to reset the marketplace of cards that come out there. You're going to be also attacking other players using those military swords in order to steal resources or to kind of disable other players' buildings. Now, once that's all done, you'll be able to purchase new buildings to go onto your player board. That'll give you new special abilities covering up the old abilities. And then once the location deck runs out or all the bandits are knocked out or two of the three possible trade ships types are claimed, or if somebody is able to complete two of their board rolls, which typically happens in the games that I play, that's going to mark the end game. Then you're going to score the victory points and then there's going to be a winner. I really do kind of love this game it, for many reasons. While it tends to be on a little bit of the lighter side, it does offer kind of like interesting decisions on where you're placing buildings and what you're going to be activating. Anthony and I saw this game way back at Origins, and because of some production snafu, a lot of people weren't able to get a copy, myself included. So it took a lot, a lot of time to get this game actually to the table. But the game is so fun, so interesting, so interactive. A little challenging as far as trying to keep an eye on what everybody else is doing and as far as when to attack other players or what someone's racing towards victory, that's a little hard because, as I said, the boards have a lot of things going on there. This game is solid. It's definitely worth the play. This game plays best at small player count so you can watch everyone's everyone's city being built up. Now, as far as the expansions, which is why I brought you here today, I want to talk about their three recent expansions. Now, Dice City All That Glitters is basically an expansion that adds gold. Now, if you've played Concordia, for example, it had an expansion called Salsa, which brought salt into the game. And basically, salt was a wild resource that would allow you to build. Well, in 
all that glitters, it's adding gold. It's adding these gold mines that are going to allow you to gain gold, which adds a wild resource in the game. Now, that's pretty cool because sometimes you need a, you know, flexible resource in order to build those buildings or to be able to kind of get you over those bridges there. Now, it just doesn't offer those gold mines, but it, but it also offers cards that activate by gold. So adding those is pretty cool. Now, that's pretty much it for this expansion. While the box is pretty large, the expansion is pretty small. There really isn't a lot of cards in this game, and other than those little chits for the gold pieces, it doesn't add too much to this game. It's kind of more of the same as far as that's concerned. Now, I would say for this expansion, All That Glitters, it's a play. If you felt the need to add something new to your game, as far as Dice Days is kind of getting a little stale, or if you're finding that you're running into some trouble getting certain resources, All That Glitters kind of works to do that. Now, their second expansion, Crossroads, adds a little bit more. Now, it's going to add more gold building. So if you didn't have enough gold before, you can get this one. Now, you don't need the previous expansion to get that, but it's going to have more gold, more gold buildings in this expansion. Not just that, but it's going to also add new additional buildings that are going to do a lot of different things that we haven't seen before. So if you felt like maybe the first expansion didn't add enough, the second expansion definitely adds a lot more gold buildings here. Now, not only does it add those gold buildings, but it also adds an extra mechanic. In the base game, if you built a building in a certain row and you wanted to activate that building, you could give up a die to be able to move dice over. Now, with this expansion, it adds an opportunity to not just utilize the rows more, but you can actually utilize the columns. So, now remember, you have to remember the grid here. So you have rows, you have columns, you're building buildings. By activating columns and by strategically placing your buildings on those columns, you'll be able to do a lot more than you did before. There's also purple culture buildings in this game. In addition to the gold, there are also buildings that allow you to activate your columns. This is different than the previous that allowed you to only activate rows. There are also purple cultural buildings that add a little more to the game. Now for this expansion, Crossroads, this expansion is a buy. It's solid, it adds more than enough as far as an expansion is concerned even though it is a very, very small deck of cards and a couple of little shits to go along with it, this is really the expansions you're looking for. So if you have a choice between all that glitters and crossroads, definitely pick up crossroads. And then if you really want something, just add a little bit more, all that glitters kind of works in there. Finally, their third expansion and their biggest of these three expansions is by Royal Decree. By Royal Decree ads is mainly culture buildings. These are the purple buildings that activate and use unique special abilities to really kind of play the game up a little bit. Now, what in particular is different about these cultural buildings is they have a new keyword ability called presence, which means in order to activate these buildings, you have to use them at a certain time in the game in which you remove certain dice. So the building might say, this gets activated only when a specific number of dice are remaining on your board. So you really have to think about in what order you want to remove the dice in order to activate these buildings. The game also adds the Queen's Plans. Now, these are really interesting objective cards that you get at the start of the game. So you'll get three cards. You'll decide from those three cards, one you keep secret and one you add to kind of a public pool. Now, everyone can go for the public pool. But if somebody does their secret card first 
everyone else's secret card automatically goes into the public pool, which now makes it available for everybody. So while typically you would go for the public pool first and keep your secrets later on, this situation, you want to go for your secret goal first. This is a nice addition to the game because it kind of focuses Dice City to a certain endpoint, at least as scoring victory points are concerned. And sometimes with Dice City, you might get a little bit lost as far as what you want to do here. Should I be able should I be going after the bandits? Should I be going after the trade ships? Well, at least I have this card in my hand or I see cards in front of me and those are going to give me solid victory points. That gives me a way to kind of start building the game. This expansion is probably the most dynamic because not just, just does it add those objective cards and those culture cards, but it's also going to add a new board. Now, with this new board, you're going to get a new green die that everyone's going to be able to roll their own green die. And then based upon the number, you'll be able to take a resource by leaving a resource or by trading that die in. You'll take all of those resources that were left there previously for gaining resources. So it's kind of a little tricky situation. I really want that resource, but now I'm adding a pile of stuff that someone might want later. It adds a little something to the game. It adds something that I think the game really did need a little bit as far as being able to build the buildings a little faster to kind of shorten the game time there. So for the final expansion, by Royal Decree, it's a buy. It's an essential part of the game. I think it adds so much to it, especially bringing that game time down. So, so three expansions, I would say two buys as far as by Royal Decree and Crossroads with all that glitters is definitely something you might want to pick up once you kind of get through those other expansions. All right, so that's everything for At The Table. Now on to our feature review. So this week, we are talking about the top 10 word games. So games that you think as far as using words in interesting ways in order to kind of, you know, engage that social interaction in a way that makes that dictionary you bought years and years and years ago kind of worth its uh, weight. So Anthony, why don't you start us off with our number 10 game? Okay, first game up here is Quiddler. Quiddler is a it's a pretty quick card game. You know, it's in kind of the same weight as, you know, your trick takers, but it's not a trick taker. It's a word making game. So I like it more. It's the basic idea of the game is you have eight rounds. You have multiple cards being dealt to each player, starting with three all the way up to 10, I think, in the final round. And each round you're trying to play all of your cards, get them out and score the biggest word. So on your turn, you're going to take the top card of the deck or the discard pile, then discard a card, and see how big of awards you can play. You go around and do this until someone goes out, and then you move on to the next round. Very, very simple. You get 10 extra points um, if you have the longest word, and if you tie with somebody, nobody gets it. So you're just trying to get the longest word in the most rounds. A couple of other variants here you can have. There's some subtraction of points for cards left in your hand, um, so it all kind of balances out. But it's quick. It's easy. And it is definitely the kind of game you got to know the words or have, you know, a sense of what you can make out of those letters. But it's it's pretty accessible, I think. I like it. Well, I think that's Boulder Dash, Anthony. <laughs> ah, see what I did? Segway. Boulder Dash is our number nine game. Now, Boulder Dash is a classic mass market game in which you are going to try to come up with really, hopefully colorful or fun, but really possible definitions for words you probably haven't heard from before you probably haven't heard before so there a word goes out everyone comes up with a definition the definitions are read out and then everyone tries to guess what the right definition is even if you don't get the right definition but if someone else got your definition 
you still score points. So basically, this is kind of the predecessor to Dixit in a lot of ways. And it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a classic game that really is still relevant today. All right, Anthony, what's our number eight? Number eight is a new game. This is Word Domination. This is produced by Uproarious Games. And the artwork looks familiar. It's because it's by Ryan Goldsberry, the guy behind Paperback and all of Tim Fowers Games. Designer Jeff Beck here. It's basically a word game with area control. You're trying to spell big words, and that'll help you expand your area that you control. But people could take that back from you relatively easily by using the same words. The key is that you can steal certain words and claim them for yourself as artifacts because you are a supervillain um, stealing things for theme reasons. And you then get those words exclusively to yourself. So it's one of those word games that managed to successfully make it so the player with the biggest vocabulary doesn't always win the game. It's really about carefully manipulating and managing where on the board you are, how to take the pieces you need, and then kind of working within the system to make sure you maximize your points. A lot of word games, you get at least one or two people who are like, oh, I don't like this because it's it makes me feel stupid or I'm just I can't think of big words or I don't know the rules. I don't know all these two little words. This game is not like that. Um, so I've had a good amount of fun with it. It's not as mean as the rules make it look either, which is nice. Very nice. Our number seven game is Bananagrams. The Bananagrams comes in a, well, what'd you think? A banana. It comes in a nice banana case and it comes with a bunch of Scrabble-like letters and basically you're making a crossword without a board. So you get 144 plastic letters. Everyone races at the same time to use as many of the letters as possible using a crossword format. And then as you finish your letters, everyone gets a new letter and everyone finishes that letter, they get a new letter. And the first person without letters is the victor. It's a lot of fun, it's quick and easy to play and it's easy to carry around everywhere. All right, Anthony, what's our number six game? All right, number six is Knitwit. This is a word game from Matt Leacock of Pandemic fame. It's, it's kind of like categories, and you have everybody trying to think up their own special answers to particular categories, but in this case, you're using different words and the associations between those words. You'll be laying different strings out on the board surrounding spools, and you are trying to, you're basically creating all these Venn diagrams that have multiple words within them, and once all of them are out, everybody's going to race to write down what words they think are associated with each of the spools that are out there. And each of the spools corresponds to a player. So if a spool has three loops around it, there's three different words. What do you think of when you look at those three different words? Once everybody's written down all their answers, you all go out and then you compare them. If multiple people have the same answer, not so good. But if you have a unique answer, very good. Very similar to a lot of those other party games. But it's a lot of fun because you have all the words right in front of you. It's very quick and easy to play, and it's got a kind of a cool uh, toy factor to it. Nice. Okay, our number five game is Code Names. We put out a wonderful grid of cards, and behind the cards are bystanders, your agents, and could be that assassin. So you try to give your team the best possible one-word clue that could relate to a number of different words, but hopefully avoiding those bad spots not to mention those deadly spot and it's quick it's easy it's fun it's kind of taking the world by storm i don't know why i'm explaining to you You probably own a copy already and that's our number five game code names all right anthony what about number four i got it in guys i got it in it's scrabble (sighs) 
Um, this is a game you can't play with everybody. You definitely have to be playing against somebody who enjoys Scrabble. But I enjoy Scrabble, so if you do too, we should play. Yeah, it's your classic crossword game. You're laying words out from your tile of seven tiles. These letters have arbitrary numbers assigned to them based on the front page of the New York Times when this guy made the game. It's, I don't know, it's just one of those classic games. And you know it's classic because they make apps out of it all the time and people make money off those apps. So it is, what else is there to say about Scrabble, guys? It is the ultimate word game for people who really like words. Okay, our number three game is... Letter Tycoon. So in Letter Tycoon, you are given a seven-card hand, and then there's three community cards. You are trying to make the best possible word. Those words are going to score you money, and that money is going to allow you to buy patents, and those patents are letters that are typically going to give you a special ability and or it's going to give you the opportunity to score money when people use your patent letter in one of their words. And obviously, those stuff, those patents are pretty good for being able to buy you stocks throughout the game that are going to score you victory points. It's a fun, smart game that utilizes so many of the great, I guess, typical tropes of word building. But it adds in a, a little kind of dynamic gameplay, strategic decision making that you don't see in typical games. All right, our number two, Anthony? Word Slam. This is the Inca and Marcus brand. Spiel this yard recommended game i believe from cosmos just came out it's in my opinion more fun than code names because there's no downtime two different teams you each get a word and then you're pulling from a deck of cards to try to describe that word and then your team is yelling out answers trying to figure out what the word is based on all that stuff you throw out there you can lay all the cards out you can put them in a tray you can do whatever you want with it just don't say anything use the cards love this game it's like a card version of charades which is a bad game, but this is a good game. And uh, I think it solves a lot of the problems that Codenames have, at least in a large group of people who don't know each other very well with all that extra downtime. And now our number one word game is Paperback. This is the Tim Fowler game that really put him on the map as far as utilizing word game with one of, I guess, gamers' favorite mechanics. So you are building words using a handful of cards that are going to have contain letters and wilds. But using Dominion-like deck building, you are going to try to make words using the letters in your hand, including wild cards, to score, to score money in order to buy new cards to add to your hand, to build new words, to score more money, to, to buy new letters to put into your hand. And then hopefully at some point, stop building that engine so much and switch on and building those final victory points. Now, in this case, instead of buying... Uh, those classic provinces, you are finishing novels, complete westerns, uh, science fictions, romance, bestsellers. It's beautiful artwork by Ryan Goldsberry, and it allows, I guess, the pure integration of people who love word games with people who love strategy games. and gives both of them a chance to enjoy the game together. Okay, so that's our top 10 word games. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you and... S-E-A-T at the table.